0: Well, we're gonna to continue tonight. We've been reading, and I just can't seem to to get away from it. But in the book of Revelation, we've been going through the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. I just can't, I can't get away from it. As I study and I look at, at the at the world around us, I just see that there's been no other time like this time for for especially I'd say united states the church to get this message because i do believe jesus christ is coming back that the rapture of the church is is coming rapidly i don't know if you believe that but i genuinely do and, and in fact it seems like the more that i see the more i'm convinced that the rapture of the church is very close because i know that according to the signs the second coming of the lord is very close and, and I also live, Lord, I didn't mention this in my prayer, but, Father, I do yield to you tonight, and I say this. Speak your word through me. I claim boldness. Let it not be my word. Let it be your words. Lord, I, I just reject any spirit of intimidation towards these people whatsoever. And, Father, that I would speak your word unadulterated, pure, with genuine conviction with no motive other than the true conviction that I feel from the Holy Ghost when I read this I thank you for that Lord but I do have this conviction the closer that we get there's a lot of people that aren't ready and there's a lot of people that think that they're ready that they're not ready and I'm really tired of beating around the bush you know Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit You know, you could even look at that before we jump into Revelation chapter 2. Just very simple. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or can you pick figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot, say cannot, produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit so every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire and then look at this verse here in verse 20 yes just as you can identify a tree by its fruit so you can identify people by their actions quick reference that to first john chapter three where the bible says In verse 4, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And as you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not. Say will not. Not may not, not hopefully won't, will not. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 7, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Anybody that lives in him will not. It says... Continue to sin will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is Dear children, let let not anyone deceive you about this when people do what is right It shows that they are righteous even as Christ is righteous, but when people keep on sinning It shows say it shows it proves like a tree in its fruit It proves that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning but the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil Those that have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning. It's impossible to have the life of Christ in you to partake of the true vine and to continue living in sin. Guys, I can tell you there was times, this is why I'm preaching this, not from a place of self-righteousness, I'm preaching this from a place of authenticity, there were times even after Bible college that I look back now and think to myself, if I would have died then, I probably would have went to hell, because I would have stood before God, because I had sin in my life, because of things that I had tolerated. Right. Amen. So he says... Those that have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them so they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now, look at this, so now we can tell. We can tell. Say, we can tell. We can tell tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. How can you tell by sin? Say sin. If you continue to live in sin, you can tell you don't belong to God. Even if you prayed the prayer, even if you've made that confession with your mouth, but you didn't believe it in your heart, because if you believed in your heart that Jesus Christ was the Lord, you appointed him into the place of lordship, from the overflow of your heart, your life would reflect that. Are you with me? There's a lot of people that have confessed him with the mouth, but they've not surrendered in their heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord. You can tell. And so I say all that to say this. I am convinced more than ever that there's many people, number one, they're not ready to meet Jesus. Number two, there's a lot of people that think that they're ready that aren't aren't really ready to meet Jesus. Are you all with me? And so part of that reason, too, is when you read these letters in the book of Revelation, this is very different than the Jesus that a lot of religious people know. This is different than the idea of Jesus that many people have. And so we've been in Revelation chapter 2. This is the first letter to the first church. And let, let me also say this too. When you read Revelation chapter 1, Jesus appeared to the apostle John and said, Write this letter to the angel. Say the angel. And he, if that word, that word angel, it means Messenger. So there's two different categories of that word messenger. It either means an angel of the Lord or it synonymously means a pastor. They're referenced as the angel of the Lord. So an angel appointed, a messenger appointed over a church, over a region. You know, and say a messenger. Say an a angel. Not the angels, an angel. That means that the Lord Basically, Jesus is telling John, write this letter to the pastor of the church, and I want to say this too. I am responsible to God for this church. Now, whether people, some people want to be a part of it, whether they don't want to be a part of it, that is not my issue to resolve and figure out. But the reality is that as long as I'm standing here, I'm accountable for what goes on and what doesn't go on. Ultimately, the condition of this church, you're not going to give an account for it. I'm going to give an account for it. That's the reality, and I take that so seriously, and as I read these things, I always say, Lord, please, you know, I need to get bold, because there's been times that I feel like I haven't said certain things. Well, what if this person leaves? What if that person leaves? Man, I'd rather you leave offended, and then the Lord deal with you about it, and you repent, than just sit here and lie to you, and then you go to hell, because you never repent, and you don't even know who Jesus is. So... Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. I'm not going to preach all of this again, but I want to go over this. It says, the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks amongst the seven gold lampstands. He said, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. Man, I'm telling you, every time I feel like I could just preach on that, but I'm not going to because I already did. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. Here's the shocker. As a Christian, you are not called to tolerate evil people. We'll reference it in a little bit, but Romans chapter 12 says, hate what is evil and love what is good. I've heard it said this way. Most Christians get an A plus when it comes to the love what is good, but they get an F when it comes to hate what is evil. The scripture doesn't just say love what is good. It says also hate what is evil. Say hate. hate. Say hate. Guess what? I know this is also contrary to what most people believe and think, but you, it, most Christians don't even have that word in their vocabulary. Well, they say that they don't, but the reality is most Christians, you start talking about the word hate, they freak out because all they know is love, but in actuality they're the same people that are hypocrites. They hate people. They talk about people. They gossip about people. They slander. But all they want to talk about is the love and grace and mercy of, of the Lord. And I want to tell you, it's, a, it's hypocritical. There are things when you get the Spirit of God inside of you that you will hate if you have the Spirit of God. And in fact, one of those things is you don't tolerate evil people. Say, I'm not putting up with it. It's about time the church and Christians get a backbone and stop putting up with this junk. Come on, somebody. You've examined the claims of those that say they are apostles, but they are not. You have discovered that they are liars. Well, you start calling someone a liar. Man, that's a liar. That's a false prophet. Oh, my goodness. How can you say that? That's not loving. Jesus commended them. I'm glad that you did that because they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Verse 4, this is where we're going to pick up, 3 through 5. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works. Say the works. Again, we don't have works in our vocabulary. It's all just faith, 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 right? Yeah, faith, 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 faith. But the book of James says faith without works isn't even faith at all. Because if it doesn't have works, then it's not genuine faith. Because true faith will compel action. Come on, somebody. Say works. God actually has expectations for us. Do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place amongst the churches. So, Let me give you some context here. When you study this out, you can read history books. You can read about the Ephesian church and and throughout history. And, And again, I want you to hear this. In the book of Revelation, these seven letters, there is three interpretations, or I should say three levels of interpretation that we need to apply this to. Number one, this was a literal church. Say literal church. This was to the church of Ephesus. And I also want to say this as well. You're going to see that the Lord gave them a warning, and he said, if you don't heed this warning, I will come and wipe you out. I'll remove your lampstand. Did you know historically the Ephesian church did not heed that warning from the Lord? Do you know what happened historically? Let me ask you this. Is there a church in Ephesus today? Say no. There's not. You know why? Because the Lord did what he said. He came and judgment came. Say judgment. Wow, I didn't know that that was actually applicable in this dispensation. I thought it was just grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. No, there is a judgment as well. There's judgment all throughout the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira, what was that? That was a judgment. King Agrippa, what was that? That was a judgment. When Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, if you don't know what that's about, Jesus prophesied that Jerusalem would be destroyed. He prophesied a judgment against Jerusalem. And guess what happened? Forty years after he died, went to the cross, and resurrected, a judgment came on Jerusalem, just as he said. And so now he's threatening these churches, saying, you'll do what I say, and if you don't, I'll remove your lampstand. Well, some of them obeyed, and some of them didn't. And judgment came on those churches, and many of them don't even exist anymore. Why am I trying to tell you that? There's several reasons why. Because people need to become scripturally literate. You need to be able to hear what the voice of the Lord sounds like. Anytime somebody stands up and says something that's not just bubble gum and cotton candy, you think because of Christian American Christianity that that's not the voice of the Lord. But in actuality, there's judgment all throughout the New Testament, even before the second coming of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you as well, I've said this many times. Why is it important that we make church a priority? Why is it important that we preach faith? Why is it important that we preach tithing? Why is it important that we preach healing? Because you think that God, the justice of God will not be mocked. You will always reap what you sow. Do you think that the justice of God will allow America to go unchecked just so that the Christians stay comfortable? Absolutely not. Say judgment. Here's something interesting too when you study theology. You know the United States of America is the only nation... That has ever sowed nuclear weapons we're the only nation that's ever dropped nukes on another nation the only ones the justice of God will not be mocked you will reap what you sow now I'm not sitting here to argue it well the, the Japanese deserve it I don't care if you think that they did or they did it the justice of God will not be mocked you sow a seed you'll reap according to that seed are you all with me tonight So, they had become, he says this, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place amongst the other churches. What happened historically was this. The church had grown lukewarm. In fact, the Ephesian church, just to give you some history, it was literally on a trading port. There were ships coming in, ships going out. I want to talk about, you know, think about this. this. This was like an oil-filled booming town. Amen? So the Ephesian church, they had all the money that they could ever want. People were wealthy. The economy was booming. You can look at this historically. But Jesus said, something has changed. You don't love me like you do at first. They had become a professional church. They were literally an ancient, they were the first ancient seeker-sensitive church. Because you can study this historically. They learned that how to have professional services, how to get people in, how to get them out, how to preach the word, how to take up the tithe and offering, and just to move on. And all of those things are great. We need to get people in. We need to get people saved. We need to preach the word. You, you, know, you need to teach people sowing and reaping. That's all great and wonderful. But what had happened was their heart had drifted away from God. And so I want to give you this point. He says, return. You cannot allow your heart to turn away from the Lord. Listen for me. Listen to me. You cannot let the love of God grow cold in you. And in fact, let me put it this way. As I study the Bible more and more, I want you to get this. And I'll say it boldly. The only Christians who will go when that trumpet blows are the ones who don't let their fire go out. Say it again. The only Christians, the only Christians, when I study the Bible, that will go when that trumpet blows. When the rapture of the church takes place, it says there will be a trumpet blast, the dead in Christ will rise. A second trumpet will blow, and together we'll meet them in the air, to meet Christ in the air. The only ones that will go are the ones that don't let their fire go out. Matthew 25, I'm not going to read it all, 1 through 13, just a quick, couple of quick references. In Matthew chapter 24, that's the chapter where Jesus is giving all the signs of the second coming. And then in Matthew chapter 25, it just flows right into it, that there were ten virgins. It says they all had oil in their lamps. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. The five that were wise kept enough oil because the, the bridegroom was delayed And they kept their lamps burning. They kept oil in their lamps. But five of them let their oil run out. And it said when the time for the bridegroom came, the five that had let their oil run out ran out, tried to get extra oil, tried to ask them for some oil. They couldn't give it to them. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came and brought the other five virgins into the wedding feast. Only the five that were ready went when the bridegroom came. Listen to me. The only ones that went were the ones that had their lamps burning. Hallelujah. We cannot let our fire go out. The only Christians who will go when the trumpet blows are the ones who don't let their fire go out. That's why I preach so hard against lethargic Christianity. There's people that are so lethargic. They don't love God at all. They don't love God like they did in the beginning. Man, I don't know if I really, they they just treat church lightheartedly. I don't know if I really need to go to church. I I don't really know. You know, they treat the word of God. I don't know if I really need to read this word every single day. I don't know if I need to pray, right? Most Christians don't even pray. You know, if you were to even talk about some of the the modern day accepted things in Christianity, even our fathers and great grandfathers of the faith, faith would laugh at us. They couldn't imagine Christianity, even America, where the Christian didn't have structured, organized prayer time consistently in their life. They could not imagine a family calling themselves believers without that family coming together and their children growing up seeing their mother and their father praying to the Lord, worshiping the Lord even in the home, without their father reading the Word of God. But we've drifted from those things. We have a lethargy when it comes to the things of God We have a lethargy when it comes to the commands of God. Hallelujah. We have a lethargy when it comes to the word of God. And then we sit here and think that that's okay and that that's acceptable. The only Christians that will go are the ones that don't let their fire go out. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 15 through 16, I know all the things that you do, and you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Guys, listen to me. There is no middle ground. I don't care if I have to be like a John the Baptist shouting to a bunch of people that just want to stare at me. Oh, okay, great. I'm going to go home and do the same thing that I did yesterday. I'll I'll shout it. There is no middle ground. If you're in the middle ground, you will not be received by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a fact. Well, how many of you know he all knows our struggles? Really? Really? What struggles do most people even have in 2022 in the United States of America? We're more blessed than any people in history have ever been before. We have more available to us than any other people throughout history. We have more luxury available to us. We have convenience available to us. A microwave generation. We just push it in, pop pop it in the microwave, and push the button for 10 seconds, and it's instant gratification. You can't pay your bills. That's okay. We got a government that will pay your bills for you and, in fact, even give you money. If you're a woman that wants to have sex outside of marriage and have children without a father in the home, you have a government that will pay your bills for you. We've never lived in a more convenient time. Are you all with me? And we think... This tolerance for the spirit and the things of this world is just acceptable to God, and it's not. And so he said, I know the things that you do, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. If you watched my broadcast today, I was talking about this, and I know I've said it in church. But the Lord would actually rather, have you, rather you be one or the other preferably you need to be red hot because that's the only one that's going that's the only one that's ready y'all you know and i know everybody's like john move on really how many christians do we have that come to a sunday morning service but they don't come to a wednesday night service how many Christians do we have that maybe come to a Wednesday night service, but they don't come to a prayer service? Why well, don't I come to a prayer service? I don't think that I need to go to a prayer. I, I don't know. I, it's not really convenient for me. Whatever thing. I got work in the morning. We got things to do. You know, it's, it's a lethargy towards the things of God. I'm going to tell you something. You're a wet blanket, and you are not ready to stand before the Lord. It's a fact. Well, John, that's offensive. I hope that it is offensive. He would rather you be hot or cold. He would rather you be cold because here's the thing. Jesus said if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. A person that's not right with God but thinks they're right with God never repents because they think they're right with God but they're not right with God. And what happens is that if a person dies, if a person leaves this earth thinking that they're right with God, but they actually weren't right with God, they're deceived and they'll stand before him and he'll say, I never even knew who you were. You were not hot. You were not cold. You're in this little indifferent little middle ground where you have fellowship with the things of this world, where you still have not waged war against the sin that's tried to dominate your life. Therefore, I don't even know who you are and reject them and they never repent because no one ever told them and they thought well because i go i'm in texas right my granddaddy was a preacher so that means i must be going to heaven false oh my wife loves the lord that means i'm going to heaven false remember the ten virgins they asked for oil from the other ones and they couldn't give it to them you cannot your your spouses can't get saved by your faith The only Christians who will go when the trumpet blows are the ones who don't let their fire go out, so you need to do these two things. Number one, you, first, you have to get the fire. A lot of Christians don't even have a fire to tend because they never even get the fire. Why don't they get the fire? Because we're creating denominations of Christianity. We're, we're, we're doing away with things like the baptism of the Holy Ghost. What is the fire? John said, one is coming after me who I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. Say fire. Fire. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, God is an all-consuming fire. His presence, his holiness, it's pure, it's righteous. The presence of God is like a refining fire. What happens? He said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Wait for the gift the Father promised in a few days. You'll receive the Holy Ghost, and you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Say the baptism. The same way. That's why it's called the baptism. It's not like the Lord gives you a sprinkle. It's not like the Old Testament. And that's how most people are operating. They operate with this Old Testament mindset. In the Old Testament, when you were a prophet, you didn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit would come on you, and the Spirit would leave you. The anointing would come on you for a little work, just to to, to prophesy or to do this or to do that, but then it would leave. The difference between us and them... Is that we've been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ and now the tangible raw power and glory of the Lord will come in you will come on you will saturate you and what happens is that presence who is God is a refining fire and that fire burns in your life where you can't even smoke anymore and you got to throw your cigarettes on the altar because the refining fire changes you and the life of God's on the inside of you come on somebody But we've taken that out I don't like that tongues that makes some people feel uncomfortable well get over it it's in the Bible sorry that that you don't like it it's in the Bible you would have hated being at the day of Pentecost well Jesus I know you said to go wait in Jerusalem but you know I was up in that upper room and when they started speaking in tongues it made me uncomfortable are you kidding me that's the gift the promise of the New Testament is the gift of the Holy Ghost it's a heavenly language I mean then that's what that's the first manifestation of it a heavenly language that comes and it's you know it says in Acts chapter 2 that on that day there was like tongues of fire cloven fire that came and settled on each of them we'll get into this in just a moment But that fire, who is God, God, our God is a consuming fire. Imagine that, being in this prayer meeting, and all of a sudden that fire, the same fire that burned at the bush with Moses, the same fire that led the Israelites by the night in the wilderness, the same fire that came down from heaven and, and licked up the offering that Elijah had built on the altar, the same fire that filled in the cloud that had filled the Holy of Holies in the temple of the Lord, that fire starts swirling around your head, and all of a sudden that fire comes and it settles on you. And it doesn't just settle on you, it disappears on the inside of you. And the Lord's showing you something. Now my presence is in you. Now you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now you're the Holy of Holies. And the first thing that happens is you begin to speak out in other tongues. Why would that be the first thing that happens? Because God... God's showing you if you want to tap into the fire and the glory that's on the inside of you this is what you do and as you begin to speak in these tongues the glory that's in you will begin to come out of you and begin to fill whatever place whatever room whatever home whatever situation that you're in I'm telling you these aren't light things oh let's get them saved and let's send them to a church that's ashamed of the baptism of the Holy Ghost are you kidding me it's like we've, I've barely been 26 years old, and we've already begun to see these things in the Word. How can you be a minister for 30 or 40 years? You're just you're turning a blind eye to the Scripture because you cannot read this Word and get around it. There's a false motive in which you're concealing it from the people. Why? Well, because that plumber who got that plumber company, he don't like the tongs. He don't like the fire. He likes the cooer's light on Sunday afternoon. And if you start talking about that, that big old fat tithe check will stop coming in the offering. So let's push the Holy Ghost out to bring the people in. I'm telling you right now, that's a compromise. And in fact, it's, it's going to lead people to hell because the only ones that will go when the trumpet blows are those that have kept their fire burning. In order to keep your fire burning, you got to have the fire to begin with. You better get the fire of God. You better get serious about the fire of God. I'm going to tell you, it's not some little parlor trick. You could come line up in this church and I could lay hands on you and you could have a sensation where the spirit of the Lord, uh, the glory of God touches you. You even fall out on the ground. But that doesn't mean you got the fire of the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because Jesus, John said, Jesus, one is coming. Being Jesus, who will baptize you? Did you know that I can't baptize you with fire? Did you know Kenneth Hagin can't baptize you with fire? Well, Roberts can't baptize you with fire. Rodney Howard Brown can't baptize you with fire. There's only one that can, and he's resurrected. His name is Jesus. And he doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart of a man. And the only heart that he'll baptize with fire is the heart that's broken, the heart that is weary, the heart that is surrendered, the heart that is humble, the heart that comes to him and is hungry and is thirsty and is desperate. He will baptize you in fire. Where the life of God comes in you and it changes you from the inside out. Yes, people aren't pushing in. Why aren't people pushing in? Because we're preaching down a watered-down gospel that never convicts anybody to push in for anything else. You're just comfortable. And as long as you're comfortable and you got to smile and i got to smile, it's okay. No, we cannot water down the gospel. There is only one way and that's surrendering everything if you don't want to surrender everything you'll never he said you can't be my disciple how do you think that you're going to go to heaven if you're not a disciple of the lord on the earth come on somebody like these are just stupid doctrines how do we even logically conclude that Well, somehow I wasn't even deemed worthy to be a disciple of the Lord on the earth, but yet I I lived my whole life. I'm not talking about someone that dies on their deathbed. I know every religious thought will go straight to that. What about someone that repents on their deathbed? They didn't have time. I'm talking about somebody that knew the truth, that heard the truth, and intentionally their whole life rejected the truth and chose the love of this world and the love of the flesh over the truth of God's word and that they were not even deemed worthy to be called a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to tell me that person's going to stand before God and him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward that's prepared for you. The person has no reward prepared for them. Whew, hallelujah. The only Christians who will go when the trumpet blows are the ones who don't let their fire go out. That's why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 16, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Well, we don't really like, you know, I had the Huntington First Baptist Church. Oh, my goodness, John, you just said their name. You're dang sure that I did. And when they did it, I said it publicly then, too. I made a Facebook post and tagged them in it. It's okay. I've seen the pastor in town. He just smiles and waves at me. He's, you know, he's not, I'm not mad at him, but I, I, I'm being honest with you. We did a gospel event where the Lord put it on our heart. Let's reach the youth of, of Huntington. Let's reach the youth of Angelina County. We did a, an event called Celebrate Huntington Youth Rally last summer. And we didn't make it a revival house or at that time a New Beginnings Church thing. We said, you know what? We're not even going to do it at this church. We're going to do it in a central location, not even at this church where it's just like getting people to come to our church. We are going to do this with the sole purpose of winning the teenagers who are depressed, who are suicidal, who are getting pregnant, who are doing drugs, who are being totally stolen away by the thief. We have to go after these kids. So we forked out. I'm telling you guys, I probably paid $4,000 and I had these mail outs made and I had them mailed to every single mailbox in Huntington, 75901 of Lufkin, Homer, and every mailbox in Zavala. I paid for all of them, thousands of dollars to to receive that. I made up a packet saying this is a free event. You don't have to give to anything. You don't have to do anything. All that we're asking is that you come for free. We'll be doing giveaways, all this stuff, and just bring your kids with you. Our goal is simply this. We want them to be saved, and we want to give them an opportunity to have a church camp experience because many of these poor kids have never been allowed to go away and go to church camp. So why should we have to send them to Dallas or Waxahachie or Houston to encounter God? Why can't they encounter God here? It's a cop-out. Oh, if we want to get our kids saved, let's just get them to church camp. What really? Why don't you pray? Why don't you fast? Why don't you get anointed? And then we'll start getting them saved. And so we sent out a letter in the mail, every church. Not only did we do that, we reached out to every church through email and Facebook. We called every church by telephone. We had our, our youth cord kids calling hours a day, calling, telling them about the event, inviting them, and we went and knocked on every church. That's why I tell you guys that I know there's 75 to 100 churches registered just in in Huntington alone because I knocked on every single door. and ended a packet. This is what we're doing. Guys, can I tell you something? You know how many churches showed up to help us? Zero. 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 Not one. That's a problem. And then on top of that, I, I started asking why. The largest church in Huntington, I guess. I don't really know. said, we've watched your services, and we've seen people... Get hands laid on them, and they've fallen down, and we don't want anything to do with that, so therefore we will not participate in what you're doing in this event. We deem it, they said, that is what we deem unessential. That's not essential doctrine. So, what I did was I took a, a video clip of evangelist Preston Shuttlesworth preaching an ABC call on the name of Jesus, very simple gospel message and i took about a 30 second clip and i posted it and i tagged them in it and i said does this seem unessential to you say lay their lay on their, lay their hands on you that's in the bible well we don't really like that well i'm sorry you're not a biblical church because in the bible that's how they did things come on somebody God puts something in men, and the way that men get that something to the generation coming underneath them is through the transferring of the anointing, mantle, power, touch of the Holy Ghost. Let's stop being spiritual weirdos and thinking, oh, God, you know, this is what churches do, especially the super, uber, weird, charismatic ones. They'll turn off all the lights and have a guy with a guitar and they'll start saying like, I see in the spirit, God's dropping Smith Wigglesworth's anointing on somebody in this room. That's not the way that it works according to the Bible. If you, Honestly, listen to me. If you want to get a taste of Smith Wigglesworth, the anointing that was on him, you better trace the hands, the people that he laid hands on. That's what I did. I started looking. I said, Smith Wigglesworth laid hands on a man named Lester Summerall. Lester Summerall laid hands on many people, one of them being Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. What do you do? Go to Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, get hands laid on you. And uh, the same way that the mantle, the, uh, the spirit of Elijah came on Elijah. That's how the, the mantles work. That's how the anointing works. I don't need to go to those meetings. You're a wet blanket. You're lethargic. What would you rather be doing? What would you rather be doing on a Wednesday night? If you have the life of Christ in you, what would you rather be doing? You know, I started thinking about this. This is, and some of you may not know this because I don't know if you've, some of you have come to this, but this is a praying church. We have prayer. Prayer is so important. Prayer is not like an insignificant thing in the Bible. Jesus actually said, when you pray, don't be like the heathen, don't be like the pagans that just repeat themselves again and again and think that because they're doing a holy repetition that God hears them. You know, here's the point. When, say when you pray. He didn't say if you pray, he said when you pray with the understanding that there shouldn't ever come a people that call themselves Christians that don't even have the discipline of prayer in their life. The early church in Acts chapter one, what should the Christian life look like? Lord keep anointing me man I just tell me what to say okay it says I'm sorry in Acts chapter 2 all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship to sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper and to prayer say they gave themselves Guess what? That means these things came first and everything else comes second. What a weird thought in Christianity that when you say yes to Jesus, this, the kingdom of God comes first and everything else comes second. I don't understand why the, the, how it's acceptable that the average church attendance in America is the average Christian goes to church once every six weeks. That's not Christianity. Because in Christianity, according to the Bible, the kingdom of God comes first in everything. Say everything. Seek first. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven above all other things and live righteously, and these things will be added unto you. It's very simple. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Put the kingdom above everything. Say everything. Everything. Guys, I'm not talking about some things and there's some things left out. Every single thing. Put the kingdom of God above all of those things and live righteously. Repent. Stop living in sin. What did Jesus say? Everything else in your life will work out if you'll do that. Hallelujah. That's why we do what we do with these kids. That's why we're so, I mean, hardcore, because I believe the Bible. Train a child up in the way that they'll go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. I'm going to tell you something. You know where my kid's going to be two to three times a year, minimal? At Dr. Rodney Howard Brown's church. All of my children, all three of my girls, the third one coming, my future children. You know where my children's going to be when there's revival? Right there. You know where my child's going to be when there's prayer right there why because i want to teach them put god first above everything else and, and and jesus promised everything else in your life will work out Amen. well don't i need to put everything else don't i need to put some other things at a priority so i can be successful you'll be more successful if you put god first Amen. hallelujah But I'm going to tell you something. That's why you need the fire. Because the fire of the Holy Ghost changes you. The fire of the Holy Ghost changes your ministry. I'm going to tell you, I had a ministry before I had the fire of the Holy Ghost. I was in ministry for several years before I got the fire. And it changes you when you get it. You can't, you're not a normal person. You're not a normal American Christian anymore. You can't be. Because it changes you. We need to get people in the fire. We need to stop being, oh, well, what if it offends them? Let the ones that are going to get offended go tuck their sorry butts and their tails between their legs, and there's the door, don't let it hit you where the good Lord split you. And let people that are broken, that are hungry, that are addicted, come in and get, get a hold of the fire of God and watch God transform their lives. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to call those that are perfect and righteous and healthy. I came to call sinners that know they're in need of repentance and salvation. So he said, don't neglect. Say, don't neglect. neglect. So here's the thing. You've got to get that fire. And once you get the fire, you cannot let the fire go out. Say it with me. Say, I cannot let the fire go out. Say, I must protect the fire at all costs. Every day. Every, no, you don't got to say this now I'm just preaching to you every day every week every month you have to live with this reality this fire doesn't keep itself man I went and had a, such a spiritual powerful encounter with the Lord it's not going to keep you for the rest of your life you have got to what did he say here the exact word you cannot neglect that spiritual gift that you received from the Lord You've got to tend. We're about to read, look at this in actually 2 Timothy 1.6. He says to, to Timothy, that's why I remind you, fan into flame. Fan it into flame, the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. You've got to fan it into flame. You've got a responsibility as a Christian to not let yourself get lethargic. Again, this is my whole point. He said, you don't love me like you did at first. You better check yourself. Paul said that he had a fear that he would go around the world doing the Lord's business and that he himself stand before Christ and be disqualified. Why? Because at some point in doing the work of God, I forgot about the God of the work and I let myself grow cold. I let my fire go out. I let my my heart grow cold and I don't love the Lord like I did in the beginning. Can I tell you something? Jesus said in John chapter 15 that any branch that remains in the vine, that you will be pruned and you will produce more fruit. Say more fruit. Y'all get out of this little American demonic mindset. Oh, look at them kids, how they're on fire for God. That's okay. One day they'll settle down. One day, you know, one day they'll have bills. Are you kidding me? The older people should be more on fire. You know why? Because you've had more time with him. You've had more time to know him. You've had more time with this word. There's a problem if you were more on fire yesterday than you were today. And that's why we have a responsibility to humble ourselves and reject this demonic doctrine that tells you what you do don't matter. It don't matter if you're on fire. It doesn't matter if you love the Lord. It doesn't matter if you sin. It's just because you prayed that prayer and had that one moment of faith one time that you're good for the rest of your life, telling you it's a doctrine that comes from devils. You better check yourself. And what happens when, I, man, I got, you got to start recognizing when that fire starts growing cold, you better do everything in your power to, to fan it into flames. You start seeing that flesh in your life, why am I walking around biting off everybody's head? You know what? Maybe, here's a genius thought, maybe I need to get with the Lord and, and, and get in the spirit for a little bit and, and put this flesh under subjection. Maybe I need to fast. Wow, that's a crazy thought. Nowadays, and get ready, y'all, I'm telling you, you're going to be around here in 2023. We're about to start fasting. Yes. I don't want to. Well, I'm telling you, we've, we have to. The Lord told me today. Yes. We're going to start fasting as a church very soon. I'm going to be announcing it where we're going to fast from morning till 6 p.m. on Wednesdays. Amen. Right? That's easy. That's just breakfast and lunch. It's not that hard. Most of the time, if you're actually like me... I don't know if this is good, but when I get consumed in something, I forget to eat. I'm like, you know, my wife's the exact opposite. She's got to eat every 10 minutes, and she's just like, but she's also pregnant, so I understand. And don't worry, I'm not going to ask my wife to fast. If you're pregnant or you're a little child, you know, I'm not going to expect you to do anything. I'm going to teach my children about fasting when they're, you know, young, not wait till they're teenagers. But that's where we have to check ourselves. Am I getting lethargic? Am I growing cold? Maybe. I need to fan into flame the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Are you all with me here? Yes. So number one, you've got to get the fire. Number two, you've got to keep the fire. Yes. How do you fan it into flame? I'm, I'm just going to give you three real quick things here. How can I fan into flame the gift of the Holy Ghost? How can I do that? I'm missing a page. Give me just a second. Did I drop it? I don't know. Write this down for number one, pray in tongues. There it is. You know, I number my pages now. When I when I print out sermons, I write at the top one, two, three because of this reason right here. They'd all get jumbled up, and I'm like, where, what is going on here? Number one, how can I fan into flame the gift that you receive? Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. Say pray in tongues. tongues. You better stop being ashamed. I don't know why. I'm, I'm telling you, if you come to prayer, you'll see me get mad Sunday mornings. If I'm in a prayer meeting with the church that the Lord's given to me, especially with people, I'm not talking about unsaved people. And I'll also tell you this as well. You know, just there, anybody's welcome. But if you are trying to get someone saved, you know, again, it, it's, prayer meeting isn't really like a salvation calling on, on the name of the Lord to be saved. It is a time for believers right unbelievers aren't filled with the Holy Ghost unbelievers aren't going to pray in the Holy Ghost unbelievers the Bible actually says in that state that they're in right then and there they're actually perishing in the the things of the Spirit are foolish to them okay so but here's my point the prayer meeting it's structured for believers you'll see me get mad if I come in here and at 930 we start praying and I'm like man we need to pray in the Spirit and there's so many reasons why we could teach that frontwards and backwards Corporate times of praying in the Spirit. Well, what about 1 Corinthians 14? Put it in the context of Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Ghost was poured out, was it one person just giving a message in tongues or was it 120 together in the upper room simultaneously speaking in tongues at one time? It was simultaneous tongues, corporate tongues. You know, so it's like, all right, let's pray in tongues. Come on, y'all, let's get excited. Let's give the Lord an offering of praise. Are you kidding me? We've got to get boldness. And that's why I keep preaching like this because the Bible says in Acts 1.8, again, you'll receive power and you'll be a witness. In Acts chapter 4, it says they were all filled with the Spirit and they began to preach in boldness. Say boldness. One thing that happens when you get the power, one thing that happens when you get the fire, one thing that happens when that glory of God consumes you like a consuming fire is you get bold. You're not going to sit there, oh, what if that person next to me hears me? Shut up. You're not going to do that. You're not going to care. Because you'll say, I'll praise just like David. I'll dance. I'll sing. And people are going to sit back, oh, wow, you look. You really look stupid. I don't care if you think that I look stupid. I don't care what you think. I don't care what thoughts are going through your head. He said, I'll praise God. Even his own wife said, you look real dignified. And he said, that's right. And your maiden thought I looked real dignified. Come on. That's what he told her. And I'm willing to look even more foolish than this. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, Some of you think that I've lost my mind, but if I've lost my mind, it's for your benefit. That's what he said. And if I'm in my right mind, it's for your benefit. All things are for the glory and the benefit, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the benefit of the church. If we're being crazy, you know why? Because it needs to get crazy. Because there's lethargy in the church. And there's a church we've got to get consumed with the fire of God. Now, I'm telling you what will happen when this church, not one or two or three, this church gets a hold of the fire of God, you know what you'll see? Revival. You'll see Brownsville, Azusa Street, Great Awakening level revival. Because the Lord has already spoken it. This is the time. Come on, somebody. The harvest field is plentiful. It's ripe, ready for the harvest, but the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest that he would send more workers into the field we got to get people on fire, being a witness for Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, we'll see this church grow so fast. And it ain't about just this church growing. It's about the kingdom. It's about the harvest, souls being saved. Angelina County being shaken with the power of the Holy Ghost. Past Angelina County, Texas being shaken by the power of God. God's going to humble the things of this world that think they're so wise, the systems of man. God will humble it, and He'll display His power in a group of people. Come on, somebody! So you got to pray in tongues. First Corinthians fourteen four says a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Say strengthen. So here's just a real easy thing, man. I feel like. I, my fire's going out. What do I need to do? How do I fan it into flame? You just start begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. What happens is the Bible says you will strengthen yourself personally. The one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Jude 1.20 says, but you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Say, build yourselves up. On your most holy faith, how do you do this? By praying in the Holy Spirit. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, you fan into flame the gift that you received. And then that point that I talked about out of Acts chapter 2, you are the temple, the glory of the Lord abides in you. How do you let it out? One simple way, speak in tongues. That was the first thing that they did in Acts 2. The fire came in them. Tongues came out of them. Why did tongues come out of them? So that the, the, the glory of the Lord would follow. Come on. You, you guys, you think, well, that seems crazy. Study the Azusa Street Revival. William Seymour would come out, and before he would ever do anything, he would make the whole crowd of hundreds and thousands of people just sing in the Spirit, sing in tongues. For how long, John? As long until the anointing was in the room. And then all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord, like a cloud, would fill the room. Amputees, legs would start growing out, arms would start growing out. People start getting healed, tumors falling off people's face. And they would do it until the glory of the Lord would fill the room. Why? Because the glory, we're not in the old covenant. We don't got to pray for the spirit to come. He poured the spirit out. He's poured out the spirit. Now what it is is getting what's in us out of us getting into a place of unity, getting into a place of true worship and surrender, and we begin to release the treasure, the pearls of heaven that are stored on the inside of us as fragile jars of clay, and as we begin to pour it out, the glory that's in us comes out of us. And what happens when you get one plus one and two plus two and three plus three? The glory of the Lord's multiplied. you need to pray in tongues number two get under the anointing y'all i had to correct a brother from another mother one time something me and my wife like to do and we're not meeting chasers we're hungry for god i'm not talking about being a weirdo that runs around and can never have a home church there's people like that they'll be at every meeting under the and all over the place but they don't even have a home church that they go to you're out of order there go to the meetings but you need to have a home body too cuz God ain't just trying to call you to get a little tickle and then just keep running around there is a place there's a community that needs what God's put on the inside of you there is lost and dying people that are going to hell and, and somebody else isn't the solution you're the solution and I'm the solution so you got to get plugged in we've got to get in the church we've got to be the church but me and my wife my wife we love to go to meetings We will go all the time. I mean, it was like this last year for a while. Houston, up to Dallas, over to Louisiana, flying out to Tampa. Here recently we were in Alabama. Why were we in Alabama? Well, when a prophet of the Lord texts you and says, I would like you to come to Alabama, you don't say, let me check the schedule. You just say, okay, I'll be there. Well, Brother John, what about how much does the Airbnb cost? What about gas? What about plane tickets? Doesn't matter. I'll use my faith. Hallelujah. I'll speak in faith, and then the faith of God, the provision will follow the faith. I'm so tired of hearing people say that. Well, I couldn't come to church. And I get unbelievers. I didn't have the gas money. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. Once you get the message of faith, that should never come out of your mouth again. There should be no excuse because nothing's impossible for the one that believes. That means gas money. Come on, that means plane tickets. Yeah. One time I had a friend. We were at Dr. Rodney's <laughs> a couple years ago, and, and uh, we were videotaping. It was midnight. Eddie James was leading worship, and we were at midnight in Dr. Rodney's in the river just dancing. It was like, man, this is 1230 in the morning, and there's still thousands of people in this room just praising the Lord. It's awesome. And I was live streaming it, and I had a friend f- across the country that messaged and said, Man, I sure wish that I could get there. And I said, you know, there's these crazy things in the 21st century called airplanes. Have you ever heard of that before? And he's like, yeah, but, you know, tickets are expensive. That's not faith. Come on. Use your faith. Put your faith out there. I'm telling you, sow a seed. Whatever you have in your hand, you say, I don't have enough for a plane ticket. What do you have? I got five dollars. Sow it to the Lord as a seed and believe God for provision. Call it in. And I'm telling you, the word of God is true. It works every time. You'll have a plane ticket. You'll have a hotel. You'll have everything that you need. Get under the anointing. And so anyways, I was telling you the story that I had this friend that I had been in his city multiple times at revival meetings throughout that year. I mean, I'm talking like close to 10 times. We would drive three and a half hours to get to the meeting and turn around and drive through the night just to get back here to have our own service. And then to get done and turn around and go back up there to get back in it. That's because we were, hu- we're hungry. We still do that. We're hungry for the Lord. And so I had this friend that's, you know, he started working in a church. And I talked to him on the phone. And I had invited him and invited him. Every time that I went, I was texting him, calling him. Man, you've got to come. Jonathan's here. Shuttlesworth's here. Uh, Ted Shuttlesworth's here. Different people are here. You've got to come get a a part of what God's doing. You know, there are men that God have raised up in this hour that have a deposit from heaven. And if we're going to be a part of God's solution in this hour, we have to receive from some of these people. Well, I don't really like this or that. Well, then forget about the person and just honor the anointing. Then people will do some goofy stuff, honor the gift. The Bible actually says, Know no man after the flesh, only know a man after the spirit. What is that? That means you look past flesh and you honor the anointing, the gift of God on a person. And you say, Lord, I need, I'm called. And you've given something to them. I can't stay in my little closet in my own little world and get it. I've got got to get impartation if I'm going to carry this. So anyways, I had invited him, invited him, invited him. No, no, no. Okay, I'll be there. And then he would lie and just not show up. So one time we were talking on the phone. And he said, yeah, man, we're just really contending for revival. And I told him on the phone, I said, Lord, I don't want to say what I'm about to say, but I'll say it because the Spirit's telling me to. I said, you don't want revival. What do you mean? If you wanted the Holy Ghost, you would be where he is. You want revival because of what revival brings. Increase, growth, an increase in salary, an increase in youth group, an increase in church. But you don't want the Holy Ghost and the anointing because if you did, you would already be where he's at right now. You would already be showing up to things. If you genuinely were hungry, no, you don't want revival. You just want church growth. Nothing wrong with church growth. But just don't be a liar. You don't want it because if you wanted it, you'd be where it's at. Are you all with me? You've got to get under the anointing. What do, if you want it, you've got to get where it's at. That's what I don't understand. I don't trust Christians. I hear Christians. They've came in this community. They've came to this church, and they've gotten healed. They've came to meetings that we've had, we've brought sp- speakers in, and they've received a genuine miracle from the Lord. And they're, they've said things like, we'll see them at Walmart. Yeah, you know, when so-and-so's sick, we need to bring them over to your place so they can get hands laid on them. What's wrong with you? Why do you go back to a place where the Spirit of the Lord's not in that place, that the anointing of God isn't in that place? Where it's been five years since anyone's gotten saved, anyone's gotten touched, anyone's got delivered. You've got to get under the anointing if you want the anointing. Because I'm going to tell you another spiritual principle here tonight. You'll never have what you don't sit underneath. If you can't humble yourself, God will never lift you up. Amen. You'll never have what you don't sit under. If there's no other way to get it than to get with who God's given it to. Number three, how do I fan into flame? Number three, get hands laid on you. Again, what did Paul say? I'll read it to you one more time. He said, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through prophecy spoken over you and when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Again, if you go to a church... That don't allow prophecy you go to a church that don't allow the laying on of hands you are signing yourself up to be in a place where you'll never receive impartation from the Lord because if they already disqualify, we don't allow that stuff in our church well guess what you're never going to receive impartation Paul said you prophesied and you got it and we laid hands on you and you got it say lay hands you got to have hands laid on you well that just seems really odd and weird well Hopefully after this sermon, you'll see that it's clearly in the scripture. If you still think it's weird, you may want to ask yourself, why do I think that that is so strange when it's clearly in the Bible, in the New Testament? Again, people think, ah, I don't need to go to those services. I don't need to go to the revival. I don't need to go to prayer. I don't need to go. Y'all, I'll be honest with you. You know some of the most anointed services we have at this church are our prayer services on Sunday night. Yeah. But you know why? Because it takes a whole, it's a different breed of person that's going to show up to a prayer service for, to pray mostly in tongues for an hour. You know what that is? Hungry. Yes. What happens when hungry people come together to seek the Lord? Guess what? The Lord moves. I'm telling you guys, there's times as a pastor, can I just be vulnerable with you? That I feel in my spirit there's things God wants to do in these services, but He won't do it. No matter how hard I've tried, it's like the Spirit won't do it because the Holy Ghost will not move where He's not honored. You, you know, and, and, and I'm not picking on anybody, but I'm saying, In a lot of places, it's just filled with people that are lethargic and that scoff at the things of the Holy Ghost. They scoff at prophecy. They scoff at the move of the Spirit. And then they're wondering, what's wrong with the pastor? How come the anointing ain't working? Are you kidding me? You could take the same man and put him in another environment and see revival take place because of hungry people. Hallelujah. Now I know that there are some cases where something's actually wrong with the pastor. And I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that I've got it all figured out. Not at all. I'm not telling you that. I'm just, I'm just sharing with you from my spirit right now. If anything, don't listen to this as 27-year-old John. Just listen to it from the Holy Ghost. That precedes age, experience, time. Hear it from the, the word of the Lord, okay? Again, I don't need to go to those services. I don't need to go to those special meetings. You start talking to people. Hey, we're having Brother Aaron come next week. Guess what? That's a man that, that carries something I don't carry. That's a man that's had his own life. He's set under his own spiritual covering. He has impartation that Pastor John may not have. Well, Pastor John may not be in town next Wednesday night. I don't know if I'm going to come. You've got to get under the anointing. You've got to get hands laid on you in order to receive impartation from the Lord. You start inviting people to special meetings. It's like, guys, can I just be honest? And I'm not talking like a funeral. Somebody died and I couldn't come. Obviously, we understand some things sometimes. But it shouldn't be a pastor's job to convince his church to show up to stuff. Like that should be a duh. You're a member of this church. We're having a special meeting. You're here. Now let's go out to the rest of the world and provoke them to come. But why isn't the rest of the world coming? Because most of the time the pastor is spending every breath he has just trying to provoke his own church to show up to what the Lord's trying to do. I don't need to go to those services. I don't need to go to those special meetings. I don't need to go to prayer. You're a wet blanket. You're lethargic. You're lukewarm. Jesus said, as I started this service out, you will know people by their actions. Who are you to judge me? I'm ultimately not the judge. God is the only one that can judge your heart. I can speak things through the discerning of the Holy Spirit and and speak on behalf of God and call things out. But if I just went by the indicators clearly laid out in the scripture, if you ask me, you're a wet blanket. According to the Bible. Now maybe secretly you're the most on fire Christian anybody's ever met and you're, you're on fire in your closet and then when you come around, you're like, I gotta tone it back because these people just can't handle me. If that's you and you're secretly Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, not talking to you. I'm talking to everyone else. Amen. I'm gonna preach till about eight o'clock. You guys still give me another 17, 15 minutes. So let's keep reading Revelation 2. I feel like I've said a lot. Usually it's the opposite. Usually I feel like I've preached a little bit, and I look up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's been two hours. This time I feel like I've said a lot, and we're not even at 8 yet. 8 o'clock, John? Yes, I'm sorry. I know. It's crazy. Like, we're going to go to church for two whole hours It's crazy, huh? Don't you know Dairy Queen closes by 830? (laughs) But I have this complaint against you. I really don't know when they close. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look at verse 5. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place amongst the other churches. I wanted to read something just kind of off the cuff here. He says this. I've referenced it so many times. Revelation 3, 5, it says... All who are victorious will be clothed in white. Because you may be asking the question, this is why I want to read this to you, Revelation 3, 5. What does it really mean? You know, there's Christians that won't believe what I'm about to tell you. And they're like, well, let's try and reinterpret what we think removing the lampstand means. Well, somehow God removes your lampstand and you're still saved, you're still going to heaven. People think like that. They try everything they can to get around what the scripture clearly teaches. So Jesus... Kind of reiterated the same thing, but in a different way to a church that makes it very clear. Revelation 3, 5. To another church, he says, to all who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Look at that statement. Erase their names from the book of life. Listen to me. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I do want to touch it. Once saved, always saved is not in the Bible. What We've, It's so clear. Erase your, in order for him to erase your name, your name had to be at one time in the book of life. So that means that there's something you can do to get your name written in the book of life, which is what? Surrender, repent, call the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and God raised him from the dead, you can get your name written in the book of life. But apparently, if you do many things that we're looking at in these different letters, one of them is allow your fire to go out and your love to grow cold, you can actually have your name erased from the book of life. And it's listed so many other places. In Matthew 25, I referenced the ten virgins. They all had oil in the beginning, but five of them, say five, and here's a reality, 50% of them were not, did not enter in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 50%. Jesus said, the pathway to, to, to life is narrow and found by few, but the highway to hell is broad and traveled by Many. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, he says, on that day, many, say many, will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never even knew you. That word many, if you look at the Greek word used in Matthew 7 there, it actually has application of the word majority. Which lines up with Matthew 25. Say the majority. So what's the majority of 100%? At minimal, 51%. If something's going to be the majority of 100, right, it has to at minimal be 51%. Half of them let their lamps go dry. Half of them let their fires go out. And the only ones that entered in were the ones that had their fire burning. But they all had oil. Say, they all had oil. You know, again, and it's like one saved, always saved. That doesn't make sense. Jesus didn't say... Write this letter to those that think that they are a part of my church, but they're actually not. No, you write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. If you don't repent, your lampstand is lit right now. You are counted in the book of life right now. But if you don't do what I say and you continue on the path that you're on, you will literally be removed. Your name will literally be erased. Once saved, always saved is not in the Bible. Look at Romans 11, 17 through 21. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. Wow, so apparently... At one point, think about this in context of John chapter 15. We just read that. I am the true grapevine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. He cuts off. Say he cuts off. So apparently you can be a branch. This is entitled the true vine. You can be a branch that's attached to the true vine. You belong to him, and at some point you stop producing fruit, and it says the Lord will cut you off. The Lord will erase your name. The Lord will remove your lampstand. Your oil will run dry. How many places does the scripture have to reference it before we stop building these false theologies? Israel had been broken off, and you Gentiles were branches from a wild olive tree had been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God promised to Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You were just a branch and not the root. Well, you say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are are there because you do believe. So don't think... Highly of yourself, but fear what could happen to you. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. How does that depict once saved, always saved in any way whatsoever? It doesn't. Say it doesn't. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. There's a whole nother topic I'm going to get into The Wednesday that I come back, I'll be here Sunday morning, but then we're going to go to Florida before the baby comes. So Aaron will be here Wednesday. But I'm not even going to begin to touch on it because it's going to take some time. It's going to be good. Jesus goes on to talk about you hate the works, the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And we're going to talk about there are things that God hates. There are things that people can do that put them in the category of a very real thing called the hatred of God. And it's like, well, I don't have any place for that in my theology. That's why I'm preaching this, because most Christians don't. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, did y'all receive anything from the Lord tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.